coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Thursday to you. We've got a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo to deal with. Uh, Fulton County, RICO cases, <laughs> multiple. Uh, let's see, we also have some action inside City Hall, inside City Council, with regards to the Cop City vote movement. Oh, if you don't know who Tim Gurner is, I'm going to let him show you who Tim Gurner is and why he's, if not someone that we need to be keeping an eye on, he's certainly emblematic of an income class that is long overdue for a little comeuppance. First things first. President Joe Biden stopped earlier this afternoon in Largo, Maryland to deliver a speech on Bidenomics. I'm going to let uh, a college student actually take the floor first. Let's give you about as much of his statement uh, today as we can in today's show and hopefully get some of the rest of this show in as well. Good afternoon. It's an honor to be here today. My name is Shade Davis and I'm a second year student at Prince George's Community College where I'm studying to earn my associates in public health. As a first generation college student, I'm also proud to serve as an elected member of the Board of Trustees. My most important role, however, is mom. I'm a mother of two young boys, ages nine and 13, and while they always keep me on my toes, they are both my motivation and inspiration. From my parents, a former police officer and a proud union maintenance worker, I learned the value of service. <laughs> of dedicating yourself to bettering your community, I learned the important things like hard work, the value of a good paying job to raise a family on, and leading a life of integrity. I'm grateful that in President Biden, we have a leader who's focused on families just like mine who's fighting every day to restore the middle class and to give hardworking families across this country more breathing room. As a college student, I feel hopeful about the future, hopeful that I can build a career and provide more opportunities for my children. And that's due in no small part to President Biden. He's getting things done. <laughs> and he's fighting every day for people like me. It is now my honor to introduce President Joe Biden. As my mother would instruct me to say, please excuse my back. I apologize. Sade, <laughs> I just told her when she uh, walked off the stage, when she's president, and they say Joe Biden's out in the waiting room, she promised me she won't say Joe who. <laughs> Please, do you have seats? Well, okay, I, I once said that early on in my tenure, Gov, and I said, everybody take a seat. None of them had seats. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you guys are impressive. And uh, three of you are really close, close friends. And one's about to become a close friend. Gov, uh, my problem is your biceps are a little small. <laughs> and you're not in very good shape, but I, maybe I'll work with you, see what we can do. No, but really and truly, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I appreciate it very much. Senator Ben Cardin is one of the great, I, I hate to face public servants, but it is true. You know, 
I judge my colleagues over the years based on not just their intellectual capacity and their decency, but their integrity. The men you have here have incredible integrity. Integrity. And it's just amazing. Chris Van Hollen is one of the reasons why I got elected vice president. He's the guy that did my debate prep for me. And without it, I'd been in real trouble. And Steny Hoyer, he and I uh, share uh, the eastern shore of Delaware and the western shore of Maryland. Uh, you know that whole area in there? I keep telling him it really is part of Delaware, but he doesn't. <laughs> and David, thank you for being such a great partner. You've been great as well. I really do appreciate it. Prince George Community College, thanks for welcoming us here today. As many of you know, my wife is a professor at a community college. Matter of fact, she's teaching today. She has an expression, and I mean, this is the God's truth. She says, any country that out-educates us will out-compete us. Any country that out-educates us will out-compete us. Work you do here in preparing students to compete in the economy of the future is real. It matters. This summer, I traveled to Chicago where I spoke about a fundamentally changing American economy. From an economy that for decades rewarded those who were at the very top and left everyone behind, who uh, just on their own, basically. One that gives working people a, uh, in this nation not only a fighting chance, they didn't do. You know, we had that trickle-down economy, not a whole lot. I grew up in a, I wasn't, we weren't poor, but we had a three-bedroom little house with four kids and a grandpa living with us. and. Uh, and uh, I didn't see a whole lot trickle down on my dad's kitchen table. <laughs> but, you know, uh, everybody deserves a shot of building the lives they deserve for their families. And we've done that for the first time in a long time. We've climbed out of our great economic crisis. It's beginning to work for working people. They, this nation is very rich. We have, and who have benefited the most has been the very rich, though. Not everybody. And that's how, uh, that's not how it should be. The new economic vision has been labeled by those in the Wall Street Journal and the London Economist and some of the more conservative press as Bidenomics. Well, they didn't mean it as a compliment at first. But now they're getting it. <laughs> What's Bidenomics? It's about investing in, and I feel like I'm going I'm to try not to repeat some of what my colleagues have already said, but it's about investing in America. Investing in America and investing in Americans, American people. It's about growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up instead of the top down. Because when the middle class does well, the poor have a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. I'm a capitalist. If you guys go out here and you can make a billion dollars, go get it. Just pay a little more in taxes. <laughs> but look, but our friends, our friends on the other team, on the other side of the aisle, they have a very different vision for America. And by the way, you have this... Uh, I think you have this book on your table, on your chairs. Maybe not. Well, I thought they did. You, you know, my st staff hand this out. You just have a little one. Well, I'm the only I'm the only president who hands out the opposition's economic plan. <laughs> oh, you think I'm kidding? Protecting America, economic security, fiscal year 2024. The budget, the study committee of Kevin Hearn, budget, and it goes on. It's, this is the mega buff, the, the, the mega budget. You know, I, I want you to take a look at it. I think we have other copies of it. If we don't, we'll get you some. So since I've come to office, all they've really done is attack me and my economic plan. There hadn't been much else. Even though we've created, as I pointed out, over 13 million jobs, more jobs in two years than any president's created in a four-year term. Even though I, I'm not looking <laughs> Even though we've had 19 straight months of unemployment under 4% for the first time in American history. 
even though we have the lowest inflation rate of any major economy in the world, with core inflation rate the last three months at 2.4 percent. We got more to do, even though we've created 800,000 manufacturing jobs and a manufacturing boom we haven't seen in decades. Even though America, as we met here today, is the strongest economy in the world. Let me say that again. America has the strongest economy in the world of all major economics. And, boy, and, and all they do is attack it. But, you know, you've noticed something. For all the time they spend attacking me and my plan, here's what they never do. They never talk about what they want to do. No, no. Think about it. They tell you what they're against. What are they for? It's like they want to keep it a secret. I don't blame them. Well, today I'm going to, I'm going to talk about their plan. Look. We're going to talk about the MAGA Republican economic plan. And by the way, this is not your father's Republican Party. This is a different deal, all kidding aside. We've all worked with Republicans on the other side over our careers and become good friends, honest, decent people. Disagree like hell with them, but they were, but they were in the deal. They thought the institutions mattered. They thought it mattered. Well, guess what? Our democracy is at risk because I don't think they do think it matters anymore. Because the country should know the facts. They should know the choice between Bidenomics and MAGAnomics. American growth and hope, and we're building or American lose, lost jobs, raising fears. MAGA Republicans give us a few, they gave us a few short years ago. Look, their plan, MAGAnomics, is more extreme than anything America's ever seen before. Just months ago, they went further than anyone has ever gone, threatening to default on the debt that's over 220 years old. Default, unless we gave them everything they wanted. We gave them nothing they wanted. We gave them nothing when we got a deal. But up to now, Republicans have given us a failed plan, a trickle-down economics that didn't work. My guess is your story is just like mine. Not much trickle-down ended up helping y'all. Instead, there's what trickle-down economics did. It, sh it, it shipped jobs overseas. It's a basic thing. Find the cheapest place in the world for labor, send the jobs there, the product there, and then import the product home. Well, you know, they hollowed out the main streets of America. They did the same for the middle class. It blew up the deficit. It produced an anemic economic growth, if any growth at all. And it stripped the dignity and pride and hope out of a community, one after another. You know, when you have those communities where there's that, been that factory employing 250 people in a small community for years and years, and then it closes down, you don't just lose the jobs. You lose a sense of belonging. People lose hope. They lose their pride. They lose their sense of pride. And now these MAGA Republicans have taken the plan I've never worked and, and you know, it, it's, it's, look, the plan they're proposing never worked, but they decided to make it much, much worse. Now Republicans in Congress are doubling down with a plan that does three things. One, it cuts taxes even more for the very wealthy and big corporations. Two, it cuts Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Three, it raises costs for families gutting investments in the middle class. Under their plan, the top 1 percent, one-tenth of 1 percent of households that make over $4 million a year are going to get another tax cut worth more than two times what the typical American family makes in a single year. Let me say that again. Two times what the average family makes a year is going to be the tax cut they're proposing to give to the very wealthy. MAGA Republican Congress also trying to undo the progress we made to make it, make getting, uh, you know, look, what, what I was able to do in the, what they call the G7 among the NATO countries and European countries, I was able to get them to all to agree, and then around the world, all the democracies, agree that we were going to have a global minimum tax on, corporates, on corporations, meaning that you couldn't have 
a offering a tax to build or make something in another country. That's just considerably lower than what the tax would be in that country where it, in fact, comes from. And that global minimum tax was finally agreed. It took me a better part of a year to get it done. And guess what? They, they want to get rid of it and let corporations go back to shifting jobs and profits overseas and avoiding paying taxes at home. And who's going to pay for that? Well, now we know because the mega Republican Congress has finally released the budget I just referenced. And the answer is seniors and hardworking Americans are going to pay for it. They don't talk much about, but, but, I, but I got the budget. I, should, I mean, literally, it's here. And it's all in black and white. Going to take a quick break and come back and listen to more of Joe Biden's Bidenomics speech from Largo, Maryland, earlier today. Now, you know you come to this show, you hear me, I am critical when I believe it's necessary to be of this president and this administration. This speech is on point. Even the delivery, that's not usually his strength. He does a pretty good job today. We'll give you more of that in minutes on The Ron Show, the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. President Joe Biden giving uh, another one of those Bidenomics speeches. He's taking ownership of the terminology used by Republicans to describe the current state of the economy. And polls have shown that uh, Americans are a little disconnected with what economic realities statistically say. However, as I've pointed out on this show before, there are also cost of living realities that I don't think political pundits and even maybe this administration quite have a handle on as well. There's a little disconnect going either way. So the president giving a Bidenomic speech today in Largo, Maryland at uh, Community College, and I want to get you right back to that. He decides to counter the Bidenomics playbook with the MAGA Republican playbook economically speaking, said he had it right there in front of him. Let's go back to that. And just for our, your, your convenience, I, left, I thought I left it. My staff told me they left a copy on your seats, but I guess they didn't. <laughs> so here's what it does. Their budget gives $5.1 trillion in additional tax cuts skewed to the wealthy people and big corporations while cutting $700 billion from Social Security. Hear me now? $700 billion from Social Security and a trillion dollars from Medicare. Let me say that again. Cut Social Security by $700 billion and Medicare by $1 trillion. They want to raise the Social Security retirement age, which means a 13% cut in benefits for seniors who retires at the age of 67. Imagine, you work your whole life. Every single paycheck you've had, you paid into that system. You thought you'd be able to retire with a little bit of dignity. Our MAGA Republican Congress also want to take Medicare away from more than 1 million Americans with disabilities. Now, if they hadn't done what they've done the last two years, you might not believe me. But I promise you, I gave you my word, that's what they're proposing. They want to cut Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act and the Children's Insurance Program by more than half. What does it mean? Under, mega, under Meganomics, as I'm calling it, tens of millions of Americans could lose their insurance. Waiting lists would skyrocket for seniors who need home or community-based care because they have nowhere else to go. They can't have no family to take care of them. Children would not get adequate health care. MAGA Republicans don't think we should be investing in education, and that's not an exaggeration. Students here at Prince George's Community College should know MAGA Republicans in Congress want to slash Pell Grants. More than 6 million students who count on these grants to be able to afford to go to college would lose it. That's what they're pressing for. You saw how they took on my attempt to eliminate student debt, although we're still going to eliminate a hell of a lot of student debt. <laughs> And by the way, they actually want to cut 
1,800 food safety inspectors. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I mean, unless I was in, I don't know, Russia, you wouldn't think this was made any sense. But here, so they want to slash research on cures for cancer and Alzheimer's by nearly $4 billion. I got my team over here to go along with when President Obama allowed me to set up the, the uh, and whole, uh, whole effort to deal with cancer, allowing me to use any office, any, administ any administration facility. And we've invested billions of dollars. We're at the cusp of changing cancer. As you know, we made a commitment. Cut cancer in half, in half, in 25 years, and extend life to Americans suffering from cancer by significant numbers. It's happening. But they want to cut the funding. They want to cut funding that guarantees the clean air and clean water. They don't want those inspectors out there. The new Republican economics would mean 82,000 children would lose access to Head Start for low-income students and affordable preschool. Not only do they not willing to support our joint effort among your, your delegation and me to make sure that we're in a situation where we provide for, we provide for early education. You know, if you send a child to school, no matter what the background is, not to daycare, but to school, where they teach reading, writing, arithmetic at age three, the cost is de minimis, and you increase by 56% the chance that that child, no matter what background they come from, will go through 12 years of school and on to community college if they choose and be able to do that, 56%. Look, folks, they want to cut 226,000 teachers and staff could lose their jobs under, at Title I schools that serve the most vulnerable. And now they're turning their backs on the bipartisan budget deal. Senator Speaker McCarthy made, me, made with me just a few months ago after threatening to do something no one and came very close to doing it, shutting down and reneging on our national debt, which would have caused an international economic crisis. Well, they're back at it again, breaking their commitment, threatening, threatening more cuts and threatening to shut down government again this month. Now, what they do talk about is claiming all these cuts are going to reduce the deficit. When it comes to reducing deficit, let's compare the records a little bit. Under my predecessor, you remember the self-professed king of debt? Well, it turned out he was. He's actually the emperor of debt. <laughs> he created more debt than any other president did in one year. No, I'm serious. For starters, when he passed that $2 trillion tax cut skewed to the wealthy and big corporations, they didn't pay for a penny of it. The end result was that it has ballooned the national debt by nearly 40 percent, over a 200-year accumulated debt. They ballooned it by 40 percent. Well, I've taken a different approach with the help of your delegation. And I'm not being solicitous when I say that. You have the best delegation in the country. And that's not just because my whole family's from Baltimore. <laughs> Look, we just cut the budget deficit by 100. We, they, helped me cut the deficit by $160 billion. $160 billion. You know how we did it? By giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower prescription drug costs. I, along with your senators and congressmen, have been trying for our whole careers to take on Big Pharma. Well, they've intimidated. They spent $200 million on having their, their lobbyists make sure that didn't happen. But guess what? It happened. We finally won. Not a single solitary Republican voted for that. And now, and now they want to repeal it. I hope American seniors are listening because we've made enormous progress here. Let's be clear. We pay more for drug prices for prescription drugs than any nation in the world. And let me be precise with you. 
If you go in and have a prescription and you go into a drugstore here in Maryland or in anywhere in the United States, and you give away the same prescription in Toronto, Canada, or London, England, or Paris, France, or Madrid, Spain, you're going to pay somewhere between 20 and 40 percent less in those other countries. Same exact drug made by the same exact company. It's wrong. And guess what? We changed it, and we're not going back. I don't get it, man. Up till now, seniors have been paying up to 400 bucks a month for their insulin. We've reduced that to $35. And at $35, the drug company is still making 350% profit because the guy who invented the insulin for diabetes didn't patent it because he wanted it available to everybody. To make it and to package it costs $13 to $14. And they're paying $35 now for it. And Republicans are trying to take that away. President Biden going on the offensive today, attacking Maganomics while showing what Bidenomics has been doing since he took office. We've got more of this after the break on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. President Joe Biden in Largo, Maryland earlier today taking another swing at embracing the GOP-concocted term Bidenomics by not just pointing out what the Biden economy has accomplished in the two-plus years he's been president, but also by showing what the Maganomics playbook would bring the American economy. Let's get right back to that. Just a few years ago, as was pointed out, 55% of the 55 of the largest corporations, the Fortune 500, paid zero in income tax. And they made $40 billion. I said I was going to do everything I could to make sure they start paying their fair share. Well, we changed that. Now the biggest corporations have to pay minimum tax of 15%, so they don't get away with paying nothing. As a matter of fact, they're supposed to be paying a minimum of 21%. 21%, that's what the tax law says. You know, big corporations are... Com- By the way, I know a little bit about big corporations. I'm from Delaware. More corporations are incorporated in Delaware than every other state in the United States of America combined. And look, I I, I want them to do well, but pay your taxes. But they're complaining. So MAGA Republicans are carrying their water. They want to go back to telling them, pay nothing again, and you have to pick up the tab instead. You pick up the tab. Not only are they refusing to take corporations, make them pay their fair share, Early this week, it was reported that MAGA Republicans are planning to give an additional, this is not, again, this is all public, an additional $1 trillion tax cut, $1 trillion tax cut for big corporations. They're doing very well, I might add. Apparently, they think corporations, which make record profits in recent years, pay too much in taxes. It's unbelievable. To hear MAGA Republicans in Congress tell it the only way to reduce the deficit is to cut Medicare, Social Security, that you've paid for in your whole life. From the time you've had your first job, you had to pay into Social Security. Out of every paycheck, give me a break. These guys are just plain wrong, and they proved it. On my watch, the deficit has already fallen by over $1 trillion, $1 trillion so far. I signed legislation to reduce the deficit by another trillion dollars over the next decade. And the budget I'm putting forward this year would cut the deficit by another $2.5 billion, trillion dollars on top of that. We're doing it by making the wealthy and big corporations begin to pay their fair share. I'm not talking about 70% taxes. I'm talking about 36% trans taxes, 24% taxes. How, how many of you think the tax code is fair? Raise your hand. Even if you're making it. No, I'm serious. Even if you're making a lot of money. You know, we've gone in the pandemic from about 740 billionaires in America to 1,000. A, a well, guess what? These billionaires pay an average of, guess what? Less than 8% in federal taxes. Less than 8% on a yearly basis. 
They pay a lower tax rate than a firefighter, a teacher, a cop. How can that be right? How can that possibly be right? My friends came up with an answer. Guess what? The Republicans, last time out, when they were in charge, and the president was, the last president was there, what they did was they cut the number of tax examiners. They cut them. Everybody said, well, that's great. You want to get rid of those tax examiners. Guess what? They cut all the folks that are very sophisticated tax examiners. That takes years to learn and how you go through a trillion-dollar income, how you determine what they pay. They cut them. It's time billionaires begin to pay at least a minimum tax of 25 percent, for God's sake. There'll still be multi-billionaires at that. We ought to make the tax code more fair, not less fair. That's why I promised that no one making under $400,000, I've never seen that, but no one making under $400,000 will see their federal taxes go up a single penny. I've kept that promise, and I will keep it. That's why I expect the child care tax credit, helping millions of middle-class families. It's a great benefit to those families. Increase economic, and by the way, increases economic growth. All the things we do for middle-class and working-class families increases economic productivity. When you have a child care tax credit, you're a middle or lower middle class income person. Guess what? It means you can get help for your kid and you can go to work at the same time. And now MAGA Republicans in Congress did not support continuing that, expended, that extended tax cut. And this week we learned what happened as a result of their position. About three million more kids are now living in poverty because we've cut that again. I'm fighting to restore the child tax credit. Once again, lift these kids out of poverty. Folks, it wasn't that long ago we were losing jobs in this country. In fact, only two presidents in American history with fewer jobs the day they left office than when they started. One was President Hoover, and the other was Donald Hoover Trump. <laughs> Seriously, only two presidents in American history. And look, you may remember my predecessor promised to be the greatest job president in history. Well, it didn't really work out that way. He lost two million jobs over the course of his presidency, two million. We created 13, we've created 13.4 million new jobs. We not only recovered all the jobs we lost during the pandemic, we've added millions more. We've seen record lows in unemployment, particularly, and I've focused on this my whole career, particularly for African-Americans and Hispanic workers and veterans. You know, the workers without high school diplomas, the lowest unemployment rate in 70 years for women now. You know, by the way, when I got elected, I promised I wanted an administration that looked like America. I got more women in the cabinet than any president has ever in history. I got more women, more women than men in the cabinet. I put more black women on the appellate court and the Supreme Court than every other president combined in American history. A higher share of working age Americans are in the workforce now than any time in the past 20 years. And job satisfaction is higher than it's been 36 years for 36 years. And we're growing the economy. You know, my dad used to have a saying, and I give him my word this is real. I'm not making this up. He'd say it all the time. He'd say, Joey, a job's about a lot more than the paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay and mean it. That's Bidenomics. That's the, that's the objective of it. Prior administration promised to revive manufacturing. They failed. I'm not sure they even tried, to be honest with you. No, I'm serious. I'm not sure they tried. As a matter of fact, they had a theory. And ship jobs overseas, cheaper labor markets, and import the product. 
Well, I, I went back, and I don't know if guys, I didn't know this, and I've been around a long time. I didn't know that Roosevelt passed in 1934 a piece of legislation that said that when a president is given money by the Congress to gets money appropriated to spend for the American people, he should only hire American workers and only use American products. No president ever tried to really keep that going. But I have. And here's the deal. That's why we've grown so rapidly. If we don't have the technique, we don't have the, the, the particular requ skill required, you can make an exception and not spend it on, on an American worker. But we got to invest in America. We're making things in America again. You know, folks, we, it's just amazing how much has changed. We used to be, we used to be, have the largest economy in the world in terms of manufacturing. Under my presidency, America surged to the front again. We're now on track having the strongest economy in the world for decades to come. Prior administration promised to rebuild our nation's infrastructure. Remember Infrastructure Week? Every week in that Infrastructure Month? Well, guess what? It never came. Great real estate builder, a former president, he didn't build a damn thing. You know, I mean, think about this. Can you believe we used to have the best infrastructure in the world? We had the best infrastructure, not, not a joke, the best infrastructure in the world rated by all these international agencies. But guess what? We fell to rank number 13 in the world. 13 in the world, 12 countries. And better infrastructure, bridges, roads, across the board than we have. Well, when I signed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, these guys helped me get through. We're now investing in America again. Our roads, our bridges, our ports, our airports, high-speed internet, removing lead pipes, from everyone so they have access to clean water. Look, folks, because you can't have the strongest economy in the world without the best infrastructure in the world. How can you do both? I mean, you can't. We're making sure we're growing the economy in a way that benefits all Americans. We awarded a record $70 billion in federal contracts to small disadvantaged businesses, and more black small businesses are starting up than any time in American history. Now we have the fastest economic growth from the pandemic of any world economy. We have the lowest inflation rate among the major economies. And we, and we have a lot more to do, though. And I'm going to get those gas prices down again, I promise you. Thank you. But seriously, we're living through one of the greatest job creation periods in our history. And folks, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. That literally is our economic plan in action, Bidenomics in action. Let me close with this. And there's a lot more I know we could talk about. I wish I had a chance to take all your questions, but I'm going to get in real trouble if I do that. <laughs> but all kidding aside, we've faced some pretty tough times in recent years. But America didn't give up. America never gives up. I've said it a thousand times. There's no quit in America. No quit. But you hear from our friends on the other side, the MAGA Republicans, what's wrong with America? Everything's wrong with America. They keep telling us America's failing. Well, they're wrong. They're failing. America's not failing. America's winning. And there's one reason for it. You, all you people, get up every single morning and go out to try to do the right thing. You, the American people, you're the one with a grit and determination, not me or your elected officials. You. Whatever we've set our mind to as a country, we've always accomplished. We've never failed. Not a joke. Think about it. Name me one objective America's set that they haven't been able to accomplish if we work together. Name one. And, folks, that's not going to change. I've long said it's never been a good bet to bet against America. 
It's not a good bet today. America's best days are ahead of us, not behind us. And I can tell you, I know virtually every major world leader and know most of them pretty well. Every one of them is looking to us. Every single one of them. I can honestly say I've never been more optimistic about America's future. Never, never, never. We just remember who the hell we are. We're the United States of America. And there's no, this is for real. This isn't a campaign speech. This is for real. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity when we work together. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Folks, one of the reasons I'm so optimistic is we really are the most unique nation in the world. And you say, well, every nation says it. No, think about it. I mean, in real terms, I think we're the most unique nation in the whole world. Every other country is based on ethnicity, geography, religion, race, or creed. We're the only nation. And this is literal. Think about it. We're the only nation based on an idea, an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, endowed with their created with certain inalienable rights. We've never fully lived up to it. We've never walked away from it. These other guys are trying to walk away from it. I'm about to make a major speech. I made one back when I ran the last time in 2020 up at Independence Hall. Democracy is at stake, folks. Our democracy is under attack, and we got to fight for it. I taught at the University of Pennsylvania for four years, and I used to teach political theory. And folks, you always hear every generation has to fight for democracy. And I found myself, it's automatic. We didn't have to believe it. But we do. We do. And look, it's who we are. I had a long talk with uh, my uh, counterpart who I've known for 25 years, Vladimir Putin. And he started to, uh, he said to me, <clears throat> this is early on when I first got elected, and we're talking about strategic doctrine and keeping nuclear weapons out of space, et cetera, in Geneva. And he sat there, and uh, when I was making the case, and he looked at me and he said uh, that, uh, the reason I'm reluctant talking to you about this, you expect me to bring China along all the time. I said, oh, I don't expect you to bring China along. So you got essentially a 6,000-mile border with China. Your tundra is melting in the Arctic Circle. Methane is coming out. you got a lot of problems. And China doesn't respect you that much. And he looked at me. She stood up. I said, we have Canada to our north, Mexico to our south, Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. we got the most heterogeneous nation in the history of the world. We're together. I'm not asking you to do anything except yourself. It ended up with a very different ending. But my point is, the idea of who we are, there's nothing beyond I promise you. Madeleine Albright was right, fellas. We are the central nation. There's not a single room I walk into, not because of Joe Biden. I mean that sincerely, because I'm president of the United States. Not a single nation I walk into, a room I walk into. The rest of the world doesn't stop and said, basically, what do you think? Not a joke. You just got to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. There is nothing beyond our capacity. God bless you all. President Joe Biden's remarks from earlier today at a community college in suburban Washington, D.C., uh, Largo, Maryland, to be exact. A very populous speech. 
high marks for the contents, even the delivery for Joe Biden. Again, delivery is not his uh, strength, but for someone who has battled stuttering since a small child, I thought he did fairly well. He's got to do it for another 14 months, and there may be very little he can do about the polling that shows so much concern about his age, not just with Republicans, but with two-thirds of Democratic voters polled. So yeah, there's 14 months of campaign trail, and there's also 14 months to hear more from the likes of Tim Gurner. You're all, Ron, who the hell is Tim Gurner? Tim Gurner is this guy. I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have, people decided that they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID, and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they, they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years. And we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50%, in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude, and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global... You know, the, the world is trying to do, the governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off and we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance. First thought, f- that guy. Second thought, you think, What he's thinking is unique to his mind and his mouth? Uh Uh-uh. That's what the billionaire class thinks in general. And their bidders in politics do as well. Stand by, we'll discuss when we return. Final segment for The Ron Show today. And I really hate that I'm having to just squeeze in a little conversation within six minutes or so about the Tim Gurner comments that I played before the last segment ended. My point being that we have 14 months in American politics where there's going to be a fight for the White House and control of the Senate and the House again, and the Tim Gurner types who think... We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40 50%, in my view. Wow. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that wow. they work for the employer, not the other way around. Wow. I mean, there is a, there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. See, I said all throughout the pandemic, the thing that freaked the Republican Party out, conservatives, their billionaire donor class, the thing that freaked them out the most was that we kind of started to understand, hey, you know what? We've got them over a barrel. We actually have a lot more control than we thought. It freaked them out. It freaked the Tim Gurner types out. Tim, by the way, has never worked a factory job in his life. The point I'm trying to make is Democrats always have to combat... Not just the Republican Party, but the billionaire and corporate donor class who can inflict pain on us economically to make us vote the way they want us to vote. We have 14 months to stay aware of that tactic, and you can count on folks like me to put the spotlight on who's doing it and when and how. I talk about Saudi Arabia drawing back on oil production. That's no mistake. That is on purpose. Don't think for a second that Tim Gurner types won't lay off or pull back on plans all to inflict a little bit of pain to get some movement at the ballot box. And again, all along, we learned during the pandemic, we, the consumer, 
the folks who consume goods and services the most, the folks who actually drive the economy, we're the ones with the control. If we just work together, if we just band it together and take control. Okay, I literally could talk more about that for 10, 15 more minutes, but there are, are some other things that we wanted to touch on today. Uh, we noted earlier, by the way, that there, there seems to be maybe some movement on the Cop City vote scenario. City Councilwoman Liliana Bakhtiari is hinting that she's going to introduce a bill at the next council meeting next Monday to put the referendum question of the city's proposed public safety training center on the November ballot. You'll recall that organizers spent this hot-ass summer (laughs) collecting more than 116,000 signatures, about twice the number of signatures needed to get a referendum put on a ballot, and then submitted those signatures earlier this week only for the city to say, well, we're not going to review these petitions just yet because there's some confusion about whether or not these were turned in on time and what the parameters were for the folks who were collecting the signatures. And confusion, by the way, that they caused themselves as a, a Judge Lamb basted them for doing yesterday. But now City Councilperson Liliana Bakhtiari, who, by the way, is one of the few on city council to not vote rubber stamp for the Atlanta public safety training facility. So she wants to just do what we've been pleading that city council should do from the jump. And had they done so earlier, they'd probably be in better shape as far as polling and the referendum results will come to be, had they just done so from the get-go. But because they've done such a poor job controlling the narrative, fumbling the narrative, actually, they're probably going to lose that referendum. And then they'll just not abide by it. And that'll just wind us up in court again. But that's, that's at least at least we see some movement on city council from at least one member. I thought I saw on Twitter or whatever you want to call it now, X, that a second city council person had co-signed this idea, but... We are running low on time, and I would spend some time looking for it if I had the time to do it, but I do not. Uh, We had some action in court today. Fulton Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee ruled that uh, 17 of the 19 defendants in the Trump-Rico batch would be separated, or as they say in legal terms, severed, from uh, Kenneth Chesborough and Sidney Powell, who have asked for speedy trials. They are set to be tried uh, about a month from now but that will not include Donald Trump and 16 others. Just thought we'd share that with you. All right. Unfortunately, I have about less than 60 seconds left. Hey, congrats to the Atlanta Braves winning their sixth consecutive National League East division title. To give you an idea just how big a deal that is, the New York Mets haven't won six division titles in their entire existence since the 1960s, or since the start of division play, we'll say, in 1969. The uh, Washington Nationals, another National League East team, they've only won five in their existence, and that dates back to when they were the Montreal Expos. The Marlins have never won one, the Miami Marlins. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies have won 11 division titles since 1969, but but the Braves have, have won, I believe, that many just since the start of this century, just since 2001. Anyway, congrats to the Braves. Uh, bigger fish to fry. Hopefully they... Got the day off they play in Miami, starting against the Marlins. Actually, speaking of fish, 
Bigger fish to fry heading into October, though. Congrats on the Braves winning their sixth title. All right, that's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at ronshowatl.com.